up, bitches! That's true. I don't know. Well, what do you think? Do you, if you've done something like that, it's almost like a, like a fighter. If someone's fought boxing, MMA, you know, kickboxing, are they ever not a fighter anymore? They still got the skill. They still got the experience. I mean, if someone was just like, Hey man, I'm a former boxer, but I haven't boxed in five years. I'm like, that doesn't mean I want to box you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you probably still have the same instincts you probably still have the same probably mentality. the same reactions to certain things yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. so i guess yeah in a sense it, it kind of always sticks with you i would think that it would um in a good way yeah you know uh that's a you know every time someone's like well i don't do that anymore i'm like well yeah but you did yeah you know and then obviously comedy is a little bit different than fighting but in a lot of ways it's not because it, it's almost like a gut like you get into comedy at least in my opinion because you kind of see things a little bit differently than i think other people do sure um because everyone thinks they and this is a real i'm sure you've encountered this everyone thinks they can do comedy because everyone has said something that someone in the room laughed at yeah and like fuck nailed it <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know yeah we all know that guy of course we all have that friend that's like i could do that and you're well, like no you could well it's like you go to a comedy club and like you ask one of your friends, you know, if you, if they went to a show at some place, like an improv or hilarities yeah. and you go, well, how was, you know, how was the show? And they say, oh, headliner was hilarious. Feature was great. Host was awful, man. I could, you go, I could do better than yeah, the host. I'm funnier than the host. And I, you hear that all the time and it's like, well, I don't know. Like if you got up there and tried it, could you really be funnier than that host? Even if that host didn't have a good particular set, like he's up there for a reason. He had to prove to the club owner and the booker that he at least can hold his own on stage. Yeah. You know, and, and Brian kind of, Brian Sternick walked me through kind of what that dynamic was. And Squire did too. When he, cause I think a lot of people view that as casual or not. They're like host, not as good feature. Good headliner. Great. Um, and usually like if you go to like, you know, Pickwick and frolic or something, um, they're going for the headliner. Most likely. Of course. Um, if you're not kind of ingrained in the scene, but like you know, I've obviously I've met some people. So sometimes when I'm going there, and I'm like, oh, there a lot of places do bring on local guys to open up, and I know a lot of local guys. I know a lot of the fun, very what I think are very funny local yeah. guys. Um, but it, that is kind of the mentality that some people have. And then yeah, they 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 leave and they're just like, that dude wasn't that funny. I'm funnier than that. Yeah. And I'm like, I guess like if it's me and you talking about shit that you and I know. But that guy has to do almost like a general joke that anyone in any mass from any area, from any area code, from any walk of life might find funny. Yeah. It's a very different type of funny. Oh, it is. And I, it was funny. I remember, you know, so many times hosting at Hilarities and usually, you know, the host is anywhere from seven to 15 minutes mm -hmm. and... You know, sometimes you would hear like 10 minutes before the show, oh, the headliner wants to go a little longer. Yeah. So your 10 minutes just got cut down to eight or the headliner wants to go a little longer and your eight minutes got cut down to six. And it was funny because in my mind, instead of looking at it like healthy and saying, okay, I just want to make this the best 
six minutes I can, I would go into it with like a negative space, like, ah, that asshole took my minutes. You know what I mean? But I didn't realize that until I got out of it. So, you know, lesson learned. Oh, yeah. I mean, hindsight's 20-20 in pretty much anything. (laughs) But I mean, it's also like a, when I, like me, like for me, that wouldn't matter because I'm not a comic at all. Um, if someone like like at the show the other the, the, a couple weeks ago, if uh, someone looked at me as like, "Hey man, wrap up!" Like, all right, I'm just up here fucking talking shit. Anyway. Yeah, I'm not doing a, a set set. I'm yeah, just not. I didn't plan this. I'm saying anything that pops in my mind, and thank God you're enjoying it. Yes, but like you know, when you talk to like comics, they're like, "Why well, have a, I have a?" They're like, "I have a, a really good thirty, solid fifteen, and a killer 10. So if you take that ten and take it down to six, you're like fuck yeah and and that's the thing that people don't get is kind of like that that thought process like there's something like it's it's planned out and then not planned out i don't obviously i'm not a comic so i don't want to speak to it so you can but it's a you know when you think about like the timing the pauses all those things that very much matter I mean, at least that matter to me, you know, like when you think of someone like Anthony Justinak's one of my favorites and, but his is because of his misdirection pause timing of some of the, you're like, holy shit, that's where you went with that. Yeah. But if you take some of the time off, all of a sudden maybe that gets cut down or I don't know, or it's like a three minute story of the same thing with jokes sprinkled in between. You know what I mean? Well, and it's funny too, because like. A lot of headliners, since they have 45 minutes or an hour to play with, their jokes, in my opinion, are like a shotgun, like, and then pause, like a Jesselnik, you know? And then, like you were saying, a host at a comedy show has to be general enough to get the crowd at least in a good mood and smiling. Like, that was always my goal. Like, I at least want the crowd to enjoy what's happening here. And if they're looking forward and they're smiling, then hopefully I'm setting them up well for the feature act who's going to come on after me. And that's, so, that's actually how it's been described to me is you're yeah. kind of setting the tone for the room. Yeah, it's almost like the host, the yeah. host is uh, the punter or the kicker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Special teams. You're not setting on, the stage. Not on the field a lot, but can kind of swing the whole momentum of a game no, or a show. I, I, I think it was Bill that maybe said that. And I was like, wow, I've never really thought of it that way. They are kind of just, they're kind of setting the room for what's coming. You know, it's its its a very odd thing, but they're like, that's kind of the, the job of it. Where n- people like me that just go to comedy shows, they're like, everyone goes up and they're trying to be as funny as possible. Like, yeah. Which they are, sure. But as a host, you're trying to get the room going for your feature, for your headliner. Yeah. And, it, you know, I think too, and I, I talk about it in my book, is there was one time where I wasn't in a good headspace and I was hosting a show and there wasn't a lot of people. It was a bar show. And since there wasn't good energy in the room, I didn't bring good energy to my set. So I got up there instead of doing eight to 10 of tried and true stuff that I know worked. Sure. I rambled for 15, 20 minutes just cause I didn't give a shit. And as soon as I got off stage, the feature act pulled me aside, gave me a piece of her mind. And at first I was real defensive cause I just thought, what sure. does she know? But then I think driving home that night, I was like, yeah, she was right. Like, yeah. I like I didn't set her up. I didn't set the crowd up. So I didn't do my part with the limited time, you know, that I had. It's a wild thing to really think about, like, how something, because, you know, when we go, people like me go to a show, we're like, oh, they say things funny. I, I laugh, I have a drink, and I leave. But what actually is behind the scenes that kind of goes into, like, setting things up, it's wild to really think about that. Oh, yeah. It's a, it, it is. It really, really is. And I think the more I've talked to comics over the years and the guests that I've had putting on shows, whatever kind of 
unpacking some of that and then going to show you're like man i that is i almost feel like i'm in on something that no one else knows about like yeah a, a secret file that shouldn't have got out because i see the way that they kind of perform oh for sure i think it was uh I think Ryan Dalton, you know, who used to yeah, be in the yeah. area and he's out in California now. I think he had said to me one time that he had the premise for a joke at like 18 or 19, but he didn't know what the punchline was. He didn't know what the rest of it was. And it wasn't until maybe he was in like his 30s until he got married that he had that life experience to where that joke came to fruition. But he had the idea at such a young age, but he just didn't have the experience to kind of tie a bow around it. Yeah. If, if you think, you know, so like I always thought that was that was kind of interesting. It is. It's very interesting, especially the writing process of, of, of different people. So. Yeah. And that was, I think, you know, when I look back on it now, I think my kind of Achilles heel was I got too comfortable with my stuff. I didn't write enough to kind of expand, um, I guess you could say, my set. So I could be like, I could host at a comedy club. I could feature at a bar. So I had you know, about 15 to 20 good minutes, 25 if I stretched it, maybe 30 once in a blue moon if I did crowd work. Kind of, kind of just what I mentioned. Yeah, like and, I, and I really... I'm, I feel good at 30, really good at 25, yeah. I'm awesome at 20. Yeah. Like it's that, and I just you know. never like, I don't know if it's just because immaturity or youth, but I just, I didn't expand on that. So I think that's kind of where I went wrong with it. But at, at the same time, like, yeah, that was, that was kind of my sweet spot. Yeah. Well... Josh Womack, that my my guest. Sorry, thank so you. Bad at that. I'm no, like, it's I'm great. So terrible at podcasting, which is weird when I'm north of 200 episodes. <laughs> but if I had to start with going like welcome, like if I do like that QTV introduction, yeah. I'm like, you may know him from this, and over the last couple of years, he's changed the landscape. I wouldn't fucking listen to that. No, no, I just can't. Yeah. I just start going, and then nine to 15 minutes in, I remember I haven't said their name yet. It's all good. It's all good. I appreciate it. But uh, I appreciate you being patient with me because you and I have been talking for a couple of months. Yeah. Um, and it's honestly the, the, it's just the way that it is sometimes. And it's completely me when you originally reached out, I was like, yeah, for sure. And then I was like, things just happened. Yeah. You had and a baby, you man. originally reached out when I was expecting, when I was an expecting uh -huh. father. Now I'm a father. I'm I'm just I'm amazed I remember where my house is. I'm sure, yeah. But uh, so I do appreciate you, you being flexible. Well, it was um, funny because I, I emailed you yesterday. I go, "Where's this thing taking place at? Where are we going to do this?" And, and I'm so I glad you got back right with me. And I was like, "Did I not send him the fucking address?" <laughs> <laughs> Been talking for months. Yeah, no, it's all good. One time during the, that time that I'd be like, "Also, here's where the podcast well, it, actually." Takes I knew you were local though, so I, that was good. So That's that was good. a good okay. start. Okay. Okay. I would have driven to Akron if you would have been down there. Oh god. I would never make you. I certainly wouldn't have the day before. Like, I didn't tell you this. I'm in Canton. Yeah. Let's reschedule. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a, it's, it's a, it's, it's kind of a funny thing, like doing stuff like this because sometimes it does happen. It happened to me the other day. And I was like, I'm, I'm like, I'm really fucking sorry. I'm at any given time talking to like 25 people. Yeah. You know, and, and some people are like, I don't know. I don't feel comfortable. I'm like, that's fine. I'm trying to make them feel comfortable. Other people I'm doing follow-ups with. Other people were rescheduling like crazy. Because no one I talk to has a normal schedule for no. the most part. They just don't. Well, and it's funny, too, when you enter parenthood. I mean, I'm at an age now where most of my friends, you know, have kids, you know, between, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. one and five years old. And it's funny, within the last couple of years, I think my wife and I have been to birthday parties for toddlers. One was at 8.30 in the morning and one was at 10.30 in the morning because those were the times that my friend's kids were least likely to melt down. I have dinner at 5.15. Yeah, yes. exactly. <laughs> so it's like they text us. They're like, we know this is weird, but 
can you come over for little Abby's birthday party at 1030 because that's kind of the sweet spot. And I said, we'll be there. And if people say shit like that to me, I'm like, not only am I going to come, that was the only time I was going to come. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, because now I have like, like, um, like when I, when I'm scheduling things with people, I'm like the, like the cable company. Yeah. I'm like, you want to get a drink? How about between like, like 10 and two? Yeah. (laughs) Cause I don't know when he's going to wake up. Of course. Yeah. But I, I, I do. I, I appreciate it. No, this was great. I, it was, it was a good, there was a good back and forth, so I'm glad we landed on this. Yeah, for sure, for sure, <laughs> for sure. Um, but yeah, I was able to. Uh, I did get through your book, and I, it was funny because I think when you and I were talking, you're like, "I think you're gonna like some of the the names that pop up." Because there's a lot of names, obviously. Sure. Yeah, I, I either know or I know of. Of course. Yeah. And then pl- I think the places was the funniest thing when you were talking about like living across the street from Corky's. Yeah. Because Corky's is not far from where we are right now. No, no. And when I first moved up to Lakewood, that was a place I visited a lot. Yeah. <laughs> that was always my my wife and I's end of the night where it's like, you just want to go to Corky's and sing? Well, yeah, we always Corky's, it was so funny because uh, when I had my apartment a couple streets over, I didn't have cable TV. I didn't have the internet. I didn't have a laptop. It was like... I was just, but I was, I was so happy. I had a DVD player and I would get stuff from Redbox and that's how I entertained myself when I came home from work and I would do stand-up shows. But I remember I went across the street to Corky's to watch uh, The Decision because I didn't have ESPN. So I went over, I waited for LeBron to do his thing. I think I asked the bartender for eight quarters so I could do laundry and then I came back home. So I didn't even sing karaoke that night, but I will always equate The Decision with Corky's. Did you, so I, I know I was in... I'm such a child, because I, I, I know where I was for like the decision and for like 9/11. Of course, I'm such an asshole. Yeah, no. But I was in Barley House downtown Akron with my wife, and uh, I was. Oh, the, and you're in Akron. Oh, I'm from Akron. Yeah, oh, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, but you were in. Okay, I got. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm from Akron. Yeah, I went to St. V. So I, I, so yeah, I was in. My wife and I, we, uh, we, we lived in Akron. We moved up here about nine, eight, nine years ago. Okay, but uh, yeah, during the time we were in, uh, we were in Akron, and. Uh, we're in Barley House, and I honestly, I was like, no fucking way he's leaving. No one would do that this way. This is such a shit thing to do. Yeah. Then he's like, I'm taking my talents to South Beach. And my, I, mean, I thought he meant Edgewater. Well, my initial thought was, Miami's not even near South Beach. Like, it's not even, they're not even that close. <laughs> yeah. That's like if I was like, I'm taking my talents to Akron. I'm like, I'm taking my talents to uh, Dayton, Ohio. They're not near each no, other. No, no. But... A lot of people were like, yeah, that's because he's just thinking about the party. <laughs> yeah, right? But uh, immediately, people started burning jerseys inside Barley House. And my, I was looked at my wife like, we got to get out of here. <laughs> we're this, it was also a weeknight, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember that because I was like, we can't be out on a weeknight watching burning jerseys inside. So we left. That, that whole spectacle is just so funny because I remember like the cars driving into the IMG building downtown mm-hmm. because every team was coming in to make their PowerPoint pitch to LeBron. And then it was, even when he came back, it was, you know, it was following Dan Gilbert's plane and all that stuff. And yeah, even the power, the PowerPoint pitch. Like, I mean, I think the speculation too was those pitches are cute and all he had already made up his mind. Yeah, of course. So you guys just jumped in to jump in, but yeah, we're pretty sure. This so, was... so you can kind of tell your fan base, Hey, we gave it the old, the old yeah. college try. Yeah. I wanted to for sure. I wanted I wanted to sit through it, and I did want to watch the rest of it. But to this day, I've never even seen the rest of it. No. After no. the only thing I know of is after they said, I know whoever was just like uh, who was ever was interviewing him. Oh, Jim Gray. Yeah, they were like he, he like 
10 minutes after he made the announcement, he's like, do you know they're burning your jerseys in Akron, Cleveland? <laughs> and he's like, well, that's unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck do you expect? Yeah. But, you know, he was a younger dude than I think his team was just like, it doesn't matter what you do. Everyone loves you. Yeah. And they're like, nope. No. <laughs> they do not. In no. fact, they fucking hate you right now. Of course. And they're going to for a very long time. Thank God you came back. Yep. Because <laughs> we left the second time, and I was like, so what? You got to start champion. Yeah. You oh, no. Care. And I mean, I saw that blip on Sports Center, and then I just went right about no my one day. No cared. Yeah. No one's like, he's leaving us again. I was like, we got a championship. We don't give a shit. Yeah go no one cares yeah um when you uh I, so i want to talk about stand-up first and then i want to get to your to, to uh to to writing about it but because i love the idea of writing about kind of what you know yeah um and uh because I, I, I think it's a really good idea because it's 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 not just because you can speak firsthand about it, but but you'd be surprised some of the wild things that happen in any industry. Yeah, R- really, like nutty, nutty. I mean, thing like if somebody that worked at Gap at the mall for three years wrote a book about what happened, you'd be like, "Fuck, that happens at the Gap." Yeah, it would just be like the the way that that is. So you did stand up. When did you start? Do you remember the year you started? Yeah, so I was one of the many Clevelanders that took the Dave Schwenson comedy workshop at the Improv. Um, I think there's probably been thousands of people, you know, who've done that. That was 2007. Um, but the time that I really did it, like the span that I was like really heavily involved in it was 2010 through 2014. So that's kind of when like, that's when most of the stories in the book take place. And that's, it, that's actually an important distinction because, you know, when you start, when you decide I'm going to do comedy, you don't, you're not doing comedy... The first, technically, you're doing comedy, but no one, you don't do an open mic and everyone's like, that the guy's a comic. Yeah. Because most people that do open mics are just like, that was fucking horrible and they don't ever come back. No, of course not. So it's an important distinction to know you're counting the time you're like, all right, I was actually a comic three years after I first did yeah, comedy. Yeah, yeah, I okay. did it. You know, I, it was one of those things where I, I don't know if it was a buddy of mine from high school, we started emailing each other joke premises and then I kind of pulled the trigger on the whole workshop thing. I did it. Messed around with some open mics here and there, but yeah, I would say about 2010 is when I really started to network with other comedians in the area, tried to get on, you know, bar shows and things like that, and tried to give it, um, you know, really a full go at it. Do you remember the first joke you ever tried to tell, like on stage in front of people? The first premise, the first anything, you know what I mean? Yeah, great question. I did some joke about some local hack joke about the Browns and Brady Quinn, and it was so keep it in stupid. House. Keep it in house, keep it, man. Keep it in house. Hey, man, if you're going to start, let's get them on your team early. Yeah. People can relate to that. Yeah, and that was... Uh, it's not a bad move. They, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, it was, some, it was something along those lines. It was an easy get. I think it got a few chuckles. Um, one of the first few jokes, to say the least. Okay. Yeah. No, 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 that's a... It's an important distinction because I think honestly, I think that's what I would do if I were ever to do a comedy set. I'm like, all right, what's going on in the city? Like, I'm not gonna do a, I'm not gonna do like a fucking migrant crisis joke. Fuck yeah, that. we're not, we're not impacted by it. And most, then most dummies in a comedy club don't even know what's happening. So. And then it's, and then, and then I, and then like when I did it a few years, I was so hypocritical because I would see other comedians do it. 
you know, I see a guy be like, man, Dick Goddard's old. Like, and I was like, like oh, grow up. And I'm just like, come on, that's all, that's all you got is a Dick Goddard old is premise, you know, but you I would take yourself back to that guy's shoes. Yeah, you know, I know. Like, I don't fucking know anything that's funny. Yeah. And I'm assuming everyone's from here. Let me name something everyone knows. Of course. You know, I'd be like, Barrio, that's fucking overrated, right? You know, and it was, everyone would jump in. It was funny. So I used to do a monthly show out at Willoughby Brewing Company. Um, and I talk about it in the book. I it remember was, it was. A, I've only. It's funny. I only got to go to Willoughby Brewing Company one time, and then it closed down. Yeah, and it's been riddled with rumors and shitty management ever since. Yeah, and it's so when I read that, I was like, oh, fuck!" I it's never a really shame. Made it back. It's, it's a, a shame. beautiful place. Too. Oh yeah, it was. I mean, it's a great place. You know, obviously an establishment of downtown Willoughby, yeah. and we did a once a month show there with that, which was awesome. Like we would have three to four comics. You would have your, you know. Alan Cox, you know, Dalton, Squire, Polk, Farrell, all those kind of all those players in the area. And it was a free show um, that we would just get like an agreement with the bar, like, hey, the bar is going to pay the comics five or six hundred bucks, you know, in total. Um, But it was funny because I was out there one time. Mike Polk was headlining and I'm from the east side. I'm from Mayfield. Okay, And, And my dad's from the east like Willoughby area. So a lot of the people that would come out to those shows were people that knew me. And I remember I think I featured Polk went on after me and he, Polk just roasted me so bad. He's like, yeah, he's like, this show's a little unfair because Josh knows everybody here. He can be like, hey, Dan, what's with your grass? Hey, Dan, cut your grass. And like, <laughs> and it was just Polk just doing his effortless thing. And I was like, I will never be that funny. And that's, I realized, I, re- I realized that pretty quickly. Yeah. Is that a, uh, I, I, I used to play in bands. Yeah. And sometimes, and they were like, um, sometimes a band would come like, Fuck! I do not want to go after that. Yeah, like I'm slated to go after this band. I've never heard them. They go up there, and I'm like, oh well, they're way better than we are. Yeah, I don't want to go back up again. So you, you've had that experience. Yeah, you'll have someone surprise you. Obviously, you know, someone who goes on and you know is just a lot funnier, you know, than you expected. Yeah. Um, I guess you could say now, looking back on it, that was kind of like the nice part about hosting at places, you know, like hilarities, you know, or, or mm. places like that, because when you're a host. You know, you if they give you six or eight minutes, you're trying to cram as much good stuff into that six to eight minutes as you can. Sure. You know what I mean? And the nice part is, is the crowd doesn't really care about how old you are, your race. Zero. Zero. They don't care how long you're on stage. When they're driving home, they'll say, oh, that little guy, he was he was pretty funny. Or, you know, the yeah, the short guy with the glasses, he was funny. And that's that's all they'll say. They won't, they won't tell their spouse, yeah, but he only did six minutes on stage. They just care, no. did, did you make me laugh or no? And that's yeah. it. No, I very much agree. It's, it's a weird disconnect slash connect that comics have with the, the crowd. Yeah. Because we will remember you. We will remember nothing about the details. or We just don't. We yeah. just don't. I can tell you the funniest dude I've seen in the last 10 years, I think his, his name was Matt Hawk. I think he's in New York. Okay. And uh, he did the funniest 15 minutes I've seen in 10 years easily. Yeah. And that's excluding like headliners. Like I've seen Tom Segura. I've seen Chappelle a couple of times. So obviously they're a lot funnier. But in terms of like like a feature act that wasn't a headliner, I mean, I was like, fuck, how do not more people know about this guy? Yeah. And then I really started thinking about, and you talked a little bit about it, is just the the amount of people that are doing comedy that you'll never hear of that are amazing. There are amazing bands you've never heard of. Yeah. Amazing comics you've never heard of. There are amazing writers you've never heard of. There are amazing podcasts you've never heard of. I mean, it's just it's 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 competitive, but also it's 
there very much is a huge string of luck that goes into oh you yeah know, not, not even just getting this becoming like a a career where you can make a lot of money but just where you can make a little bit of money on the side as a local guy yeah it's just it's that competitive there's that many people and it's kind of like a rotating door yeah and it was funny like at hilarities which was really cool was you would get your big names. You get, you know, your your SNL alum, and you know they bring in those guys to, you know, put butts in the seats because it's a name, sure. obviously. But you get some of these feature acts, these kind of road warriors, where you know the average person has never heard of them, but they have just perfected their craft so well. They've done the colleges, they've done the comedy clubs, you know, and you know the chan- chances are, like, you know, they're never going to be, you know a Netflix special or something like that, but they are these road warriors who just come and they just steamroll through every town and they just make you laugh. And then they go on to the next town. Yeah. There's a, and there's a lot of those. Yeah. There's a lot of those that you know, or you recognize, but you don't know them. Yeah. Like you know them, but you don't know them. Yeah. Like a Doug Stanhope. Uh-huh. who has been doing comedy for 25, 30 years. Yeah. If he comes into town tomorrow, he's going to make everyone in the room howl and he'll leave. And I'm like, who is that guy? Yeah. And, but they don't know him. And then they'll like see him on TV and like a show and like, Oh, we saw him. I still don't know who he is. Yeah. Like, that's a road. Like, like when you say road word, that's who I think of. People yeah. Like that. Yeah. And it's funny because even when I look at, you know, the Hilarities website now, there's still a lot of the comedians that I worked with 10 or 12 years ago who are still headlining at Hilarities. And some of them aren't big names, but I get it. It's these guys are solid. They're going to give people a good experience. And if these people have a good experience at this show, maybe they'll come back for another show. Yeah. You know, so Nick at Hilarities has a real loyalty to like, the performers who have like perfected this thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Uh, and there's, I think there are even more people because again, there's so many, there are a lot of people that are perfected it. That just, I wouldn't maybe perfected. It's not even the right term to use for me, but that have, that are able to pivot in, in kind of like adversity. Like, I mean, you think of like one of the greats to me is like Bill Burr and you think about his, what is it? Is, is it the Philly set? That just fell fucking apart. Yeah. And it's not like he was a, a new up-and-coming comic. He was well-established. Yeah. And things can still fucking go south for you. Of course. You know, like like that. Like, those are the guys that the guys that have kind of not seen it all, but have seen enough where no matter what happens, they're going to be okay. Yeah, I remember that happened. Didn't that happen about a year, a year and a half ago to Tiffany Haddish? Yes. She I had kind did. of, she had like a little yeah. bit of a meltdown. It was kind of a blip on the radar, and I don't think anyone really talks about it anymore. It happened to Chappelle a lot when he came back and started doing stand-up because his shows kept getting ruined ruined by Chappelle show fans who would just yell Rick James shit and he would walk off stage. That's right. Yeah. Um, I saw him in Pittsburgh years ago, but I remember um, the day before the Pittsburgh show, he was somewhere else. I do not remember where, and people started doing that and he fucking walked off stage and I was was like, Oh my God, I'm driving to Pittsburgh for this. I really hope people don't fuck this up for me. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And it was great. In fact, he even joked around about how he wished the city would explode. He didn't care. Yeah. But yeah, it's a, uh, but I mean, those are, those are the people that can kind of just do that. It's, but, but can still get frazzled. Yeah. That's what's wild about that. Oh, of course. About being on stage in front of a live audience with a whole lot of alcohol. Cause no one, I mean, there's no such thing, at least I've never been to one or heard of one as a sober, you know, comedy show. No. People go there and have drinks and have fun. They want to laugh. Yeah. It was, I, it's, I mean, you talk about kind of like that stuff still happening to established comedians. Like you've probably seen the documentary Comedian, you know, with Jerry Seinfeld. Yep. And it was funny because I think if I remember the premise of, a, of the documentary is him kind of like developing a new 45 minutes, I think. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he goes and he starts doing these, you know, three to five minute guest sets at these clubs and they're following him in his Porsche as he's driving home from the club. 
and they, not not a Porsche, not like a nine eleven from the eighties, like a three hundred thousand. Yeah, and Porsche. like he's just always thinking about is like his insecurity is he's driving. He's like, I don't know if that went well. I don't know if that he has really a very worked. Wild mentality. Yeah, like he's almost like a com- like a, the purest kind of form of a comic. Yeah. Writer. Even if everyone loved it, he's still second guessing and thinking of ways to make it better. Yeah, and he's a he's, he's a big advocate of, um, from what I've heard of word counts. Yeah, like he kind of trims and as a copywriter, I can appreciate that because a lot of the times we're challenged with character limits and yeah, yeah. you know you can only make this billboard six words, so you got to make it your best six words. Yeah, he's kind of like that with his sets. And for anyone that doesn't know what that means but essentially what it means is like if you tell a joke that's 25 words he thinks you actually make it funnier by making it 19 yeah it, it's a very odd but he's like i can condense that this was too much the joke gets better if i just remove these unnecessary words yeah and the joke gets harder it's a very weird concept but at the same time it kind of makes sense yeah i had it's, a, there it's was the a, exact opposite of like beating a dead horse it's yeah it's, it's, there was a comedian um that I used to work with a lot. His name's Jay Black. And um, he, we were at Hilarities for a full week. So at, at the time, Hilarities was doing a show Wednesday night, Thursday night, two on Friday, two on Saturday, one on Sunday. So seven shows in five days. So after the Wednesday night show, the first show, I got off stage and I went back and he kind of pulled me aside. He goes, your first joke's really funny. He goes, I think you can get to the laugh quicker. He goes, so just go back and try to you know edit some stuff. So I think I got my first laugh after 55 to 60 words, I went back and I think I shortened it to 40 or 45. So only 20 words. Yeah. But he was right. And I kind of took out a little bit of that fluff. The first night, the night after on Thursday, I tried it. It was, a, I stumbled a little bit, but by the next night, I was kind of in the swing of it. And same thing, same mentality. Like, I think you can get that first laugh quicker. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's, it's, it's a, again, it's when you hear comics kind of working out material, like that's not a, that's not a weird foreign thing, like to see, you know, a Chris Rock just pop up in a New York club yeah. at like two in the morning to try out a joke for 10 minutes. Like, yeah. Do that. It's wild, but it will happen. Um, yeah. It, 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 that's, again, I think some people are just like, oh, it was like the funny guy from high school that goes up there and he's really, really funny and that's yeah. it. No, there is a lot that goes into that and a lot of people have different approaches and kind of methods to kind of, you know, honing that craft. Of I think course. that's why it's so interesting when you really start digging into those things. Yeah, definitely. At what point, you you mentioned, I think it was 2010, as you're, you know, that's when I was in it. Is that around the time when when someone would say, "What do you do?" You're like, "Well, I'm a comic." You know, like, I, at what point do you say that? Yeah, it, that's that's a great question because I always kept a you know I always kept a day job, but yeah. I just I kind of looked at the comedian thing as kind of like icing on the cake. You know, it's almost like a teacher who has a part time job bartending or something like that. Like this was kind of like the thing I did on the side. Um, so, you know, I don't know if people ever viewed me as like a true hundred percent comedian, you know, but I think they knew I could kind of like hold my own on stages. So when you're a comedian, you get asked to do so many weird things, you know what I mean? And when you're young, you're almost afraid to say no to any opportunity because every place is a stage. So you get offered to officiate a wedding, you take the gig, you know what I mean? You get offered to host a fundraiser, you know, you, so you take it. So it's just weird. Like, 
when you're younger, you, you try to kind of gobble up every opportunity because you're just looking for stage time, any kind of stage time. The, okay, so that's interesting because to me, the, the, when I hear, I've heard different takes on that. I think all are valid, but I think one is more right. And I lean toward that one. Yeah. That is just a whatever, take whatever you can get, whatever you can get. The more time it's a... I hear a lot of more people t- think about like, oh, I'm getting on stage like two, three times a week. You go to like, and I've talked to like comics like in New York when I was visiting, and you know, whenever I'd go there, we always love to go to comedy shows in New York because it's it's kind of like the mecca. In a yeah, way. of course. And uh, but there's like, you, they're like, we're not on stage seven nights a week. We're on stage twenty nights a week. Yeah, because we go Saturday. Those dudes start at seven and end at two a.m. They skip around all over anywhere and do as many as they can. I think that if you're like a New York based comic or a comic that moves there, you have more opportunity. And I think some of them can hone those skills a little bit. It's just practice. It's not a who's funny or who's not. Yeah. There are some people that are more naturally funny, but if you're on stage ten nights a week versus two. Regardless of natural talent, I mean, who's going to get better? Yeah, of course. And that's my opinion. Yeah. You know, that, that that is just my opinion. There are people that are naturally very, very funny, no matter what. They're just funny people. Well, every time you get on a stage, it's an audition. You know, it's yeah. something to where, you know, you do a gig where you do a fundraiser or you do something where you do a five-minute guest set, but maybe there's someone in the audience who is having a company Christmas party and they're thinking of hiring entertainment. So they think back to that guy who did a really funny five minute set. Yeah. And then you get a corporate gig out of it. You know, so like every time you're doing it in the book, I talk about, you know, doing a gig for a church fundraiser in like a, in a that. gymnasium, you yeah. know, and I'm just like, it wasn't like the best put together gig in the world, but I was like, here's a captive audience that might like something that I say, and then that might branch out into something else. So when you're talking about, in New York, a comedian going from 7 p.m. to 2 a.m., you totally get it because you're just you're just trying to get eyeballs. Yeah, and that's a paying gig with eyeballs. Like yeah, what you just said. Yeah, I mean, I used to I used to always get jo- better than that, guys. Yeah, <laughs> I used to always joke around. One of the jokes I did are hilarious. I used to say something like, uh, I used to say something like, I usually don't do gigs as nice as this with lights and people. <laughs> because and then like I think like most of the audience would get it. Yeah. Because really. I mean, you do, you know, an open mic at a coffee shop or something. And it's funny because even when I was at your show at Southern Tier for the podcast, I remember you were up there doing your stuff and I was paying attention to you, but I could also hear the bartenders in the back and I can hear them scooping ice. And I remember doing bar shows where I was like, I'm up here trying to make this thing work. And this bartender does not give a shit, like slamming glasses Hitting ice. If you're at a coffee shop, maybe they run the, you know, the espresso machine like right when your one punchline's about to hit. Um, so that's why I said I had, I had a little PTSD from that. Well, yeah, and that's it's funny because people have come up to me after most shows. A lot of performers are going to tell us like, "Here's how we make the show better." I'm like, "Let me stop you right there. If you're going to say we have to quiet the people down, I can't help you. Yeah, we're not in a comedy club where it's just like a normal like we're in a bar. Yeah." We're in a bar. I can't tell people, hey man, don't talk. And if you're louder or want to go to the other end of the bar, go upstairs or leave. Yeah. I can't do that. And that has been an issue for not all shows, but for a, a lot of them. Someone will be like, like at the end of my last show, people were like, hey man, it got kind of loud at the end. I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's a bar. Yeah. Man. We're drinking. I can't, you know, I couldn't really hear much when I was going. Of um, course. And then Ken came on, couldn't hear much. It was okay. But when my second guest, 
yeah, of course I could hear a lot. Yeah. And I think I even made a comment like, hey, everyone, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Or go upstairs. Yeah. You know, um, it, it's, but I mean, you, you can't, again, unless I'm in like a, like in a Pickwick and Frolic where everyone is quiet because we've all agreed that we're going to watch the show in yeah. silence and have drinks, but I can't do that anywhere else. Well, and it's funny, like, I'll go back again to the Willoughby Brewing shows that we used to do. In the book, I interviewed a bunch of old comedians to just to kind of get their thoughts on these places, and I think I love that. By the way, yeah, thank you, I appreciate it. When you did it. the Wilby, when you did the Brothers Lounge, yeah, which I always loved. I loved when you gave their, and for anyone, sorry, anyone has read, it, but essentially, you did a lot of shows at Willoughby, you did a lot of shows at Brothers Lounge, and you're like, hey, I, I just asked people what were their thoughts on those shows, yeah, and it's people that you know, people that you may not know, but it's what they took away from the experience at those shows, yeah, and you notice some themes, like for Willoughby Brewing. Um, I think Polk and Ryan Dalton both said it was always a good bar gig. Cause you got to realize like for a bar gig, you know, on a weeknight for a chance for a comedian to do 25, 30 minutes, I wouldn't have any of the headliners do like 45 minutes. That's just, that's too long for a bar show, but for a chance for someone like a Polk or a Dalton to do 25, 30 minutes, make 150, 175 bucks. Like that's not, that's not bad for, you know, a weeknight. Um, but they always said like, the Willoughby Brewing shows were good because they knew they kind of, they had a good crowd, but they kind of had to work for the laughs. Like they kind of had to rein them in a little bit yeah. because it was a bar crowd, you know? And then you go to a place like Brothers Lounge and a lot of the comedians chimed in with, when we performed at Brothers Lounge, we always knew it felt special. It kind of felt like we were on our way up a little bit because it wasn't quite hilarious or the improv, but it's it, a great stage, but it, oh, it's a great stage, but it wasn't a, open mic where you're just standing in the corner like they have the stage with the brothers lounge you know logo in the background and mike farrell used to run that show and mike kind of comes from that hilarities background where he was kind of like a you know a show manager there so he knew how to keep the momentum going he would play music between all the comedians like when the comedians would end he'd play music when a comedian would come out they would you know he would play music so he didn't want any kind of like lulls you know, kind of like in the momentum of the show. Um, so just little things like that. And when I would pick people's brains about that, they would say, yeah, like even at Brothers Lounge, there's a little curtain that you would come behind where it made you feel like, okay, like you're coming out from behind the curtain. The like, unveiling. Yeah, yes. the unveiling. And, you know, you're not at Playhouse Square, but you're at kind of a, a cool little jazz club. Bro- Brothers is a very, un- Brothers is on my list has underrated everything. Yeah. They have good bar food. It's a really cool place. Uh, they have a good front place to see like little acoustic shows. Yeah, the backstage where it's it's a great place. Loved it really, it. really is. Love. I mean, and they did. Um, it was funny. Like for a lot of years, they would do a show in between that sacred week between Christmas and New Year's, where most yeah. people are off. So and just ev- dead to the world. <laughs> every, everyone's everyone's in a good mood because nobody's going to work. Yeah. And you would do the show on a Tuesday or Wednesday night. The show would always be packed. And sometimes you could get away with six or seven comedians because people will come out to see different comedians. Yeah, but that yeah. show was always just it was just so much fun. That was that's a that's such a fun little stretch right there too, because between Christmas and New Year's, I mean we're I, you would just have that mentality of, oh man, just fucking keep drinking. Who yeah. Cares? <laughs> keep the keep the good times going. Just keep going. Yeah. Man. You actually just brought up something interesting and I, the, the, this came up on social media the other day. Somebody, I believe it was a comic, was asking, what is the sweet spot? What is too many comics on a show? Yeah. And I've done both ends of this spectrum because I've had shows with seven comics. Yeah. So what, what do you think? Wow. And I, 
I think I talk about this in the book a little bit. So when I would when I would book the Willoughby Brewing shows, I think I think the most I would do would be four. I would do a host, maybe a guest set, five minute guest set, feature, and headliner. Yeah. Um, and I forgot who told this to me once, but you know when like a comedian comes on stage, it's almost like the audience has to take a minute to get used to the comedian. You know, they kind of have to sure. figure out like their style and whatnot. And it the, is weird. And the audience only has so much in their reserve to laugh <clears throat> at. Like, you know, so like at an open mic, if you're on the eighth or tenth comedian, your brain has already done so much work where you've kind of had to like ingest this comedian's like style and their humor. Um, so I would say three to five comics is probably the sweet spot. And if it's if you're if you're guessing on it, I I probably go three to four. Yeah, I think four is good. Five, depending on who you have, is your fifth. Uh, I think. Yeah. But I learned that not learned it the hard way. I think it was just in my first one. I had seven. Yeah. And uh, they were all great. You know, yep. I had like Marty Malloy was on my first show. Oh, Armstrong yeah. was on my first show. I mean, they're all really funny guys. I yeah. Love all. I still think they're Marty. I just booked him. He's coming on. Awesome. I'm I love fucking it. So excited. Yeah. <laughs> What a staple, man. <laughs> that guy is just everyone everyone that is in comedy or did they're like if there's a Cleveland Mount Rushmore comedy, Marty's on it. Yeah. Yeah. So I am except but I remember I tell the story because it's it, it's it's funny every time it happens. Every time I think about it, it's funny. It was my first comedy show that I've ever ever kind of produced, put on, everything like that. And uh not that I was super worried, but I was just like I, I had this mentality of I got a hundred plus people here. I've done my job. Fuck, I don't care if this sucks. Yeah. And then I started thinking, I actually do kind of care if it sucks. And Marty was the first person that I met at. The, I'd never met him before. Okay. Uh, I, I another comic that I knew put everyone together. I was like, cool, yep. awesome. Marty walks up to me. It's like two hours before the show. I don't even know why he was there. He walks up. He goes, "Hi, I'm Marty." And he said something weird and walked away. And I'm like, I looked at my buddy. I'm like. I don't think this is going to go very well, <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it, he was the best one by far. Yeah. He, he just, he killed. Yeah. And every single time I've seen him since he killed, even his messages to me as we're scheduling the podcast was funny to me. See, that's because I'm just reading it the way that I hear him. Of course. Yeah. I was like, Hey man, like he, he made it was something like, uh, he posted on Facebook, like, I want to not, Hey, does anyone have any local podcasts? I'd love to be on to promote some stuff. He's like, Podcast I want to be on, let me know. And something to that. Yeah. Effect. Noah, I didn't see it. Noah tagged me and was like, Joe, kill this podcast. So I, I, I sent Marty a message. I was like, hey, man, you know this, and I'd, I'd love to have you on. Let me know. He goes, what time? Like, we haven't even picked the date yet. Yeah. <laughs> if there's a time, he'll be there. It's yeah. So I love it. I'm like, uh, how about five? Do you want to pick the day now? Yeah, like, just but that's just what it was. And it's so funny. And he, I'm so excited. And he's he's kind of got like this uh, this. You're right. This legendary status about him. I remember. Oh, yeah. I remember like Jim Tews was in town, and I asked him. I was like, "What do you?" I asked him like, "What he was up to?" He's like, "Ah, oh. he's like, I saw some old friends." He's like, "I went and hung out with Marty," you know. And it's like, uh, okay, like that's that's kind of what you do. Bill uh, told me a story like because he's known Marty for a really long time. Oh, of course. And he's like, Marty will just call me. And be like, hey, I just saw the end of Suicide Squad. I didn't think it was that bad. And then I hung up. <laughs> and Bill's like, all right, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but he's like, that's just kind of how yeah. he is. Like, yeah. If you know him. So I don't know him well. Um, but fortunately, another comic friend of mine, Kyle, is going to come on because they're both on the uh, the Rubber City Comedy. Okay. And I could promote that. And I was like, thank you. I need a, 
I might need a buffer because I don't know him very well. Now, now so. wait, have you? Were you around when Bogey's Comedy Club was mm. in Willoughby? No, I don't think so. Okay, because that was. I think I that mean was, around as I was alive. Yeah, <laughs> no. Were you up here? In, were you up here? Or you were down? Uh, I've been up here about uh, eight, nine years. Now. Okay, so that you kind of you missed it a little bit. Um, that was I think two thousand eight through like two thousand nine. Um, but yeah, Bogey's was a comedy club on the east side uh, in Willoughby, like in a in a strip mall. And Bogey's was just always so interesting because I, like I can see the logo though. Yeah, it was like a martini glass, like purple and brick. Yes, Does that I sound think I familiar? Have seen that, yeah. Yeah, Kirk Bogos uh, was the one who put it together. That's why it's named Bogies. But like Bogies was like one of those places where when I talked to comedians in the book, like Bogies was the spot where they first got to host. Bogies was the spot where they first got to feature or headline. You okay. know, so even though it was kind of a small blip on the Cleveland comedy radar, like people look back on it with fondness, like, okay, like this club took a chance on me so that yeah, way yeah, yeah. that way i have tape of being a host or a feature and i can send it to other clubs you know <laughs> that's a good way to look at that yeah, yeah. that's a. Uh, i've always thought about that too about you know kind of like especially again your thing getting started in 2007 and then kind of getting going to 2010 yeah obviously there was social media but it's nothing like it is now no social media is a monster now yeah you know the the um you know people can release and publish their own book through amazon they don't need a no they don't need a big publishing house anymore no and that's kind of an amazing thing yeah I, it helps kind of people kind of get their shit out there oh yeah and i remember like um you know i remember just reaching out to the guys who were like in the scene i remember reaching out to mike farrell and mike polk and zumach and those guys because mostly i would see on their twitter they were doing a show here and there and you know i would kind of message them and be like hey can i tag along in the show do five minutes and i would always offer to drive which i think helped uh being a designated move. They can yeah, drink. Yeah, 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 exactly. Kind of a win-win. Hey, for, man. Hey, that's that's networking. Yeah, for everybody. That's knowing the Achilles heel and getting yourself in there. Man. Yeah, and uh, but no, it was funny, like the social media thing, because yeah, I just I'd always just try to see kind of you know what everyone was up to. Yeah, no, that's good. I, I like that a lot. I do. There's a, I don't know that. I've always kind of viewed it the same way as I view anything else. Like there is also that aspect of it. It's not even just. There are plenty of funny people that can't get on stage because yeah. they don't know how to get on stage. There's plenty of really good musicians that don't know how to get their music out there. Yeah. There's plenty of really talented people that can't get themselves out there. Like there's another shitty. No one likes that part, but the work aspect of kind of getting yourself out there. And I. I what I do for work, I think, helps me. And it's funny because Bridget Linton from ESPN, when she came on, yeah, she sent me the funniest. Well, she didn't send it to me. She really kind of roasted me when she came on the podcast. Like She came in, came down. Her, me and her and Brian just drank for like 30 minutes before we even started. And she's like, your message was so fucking dumb. I'm like, uh, uh, why? Yeah. I was like, why was it so, did I say something bad? I, 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 I know I didn't. She's like, no, it's just it's supposed to be like this, you know, having drinks, fun podcast, and you send me this stupid, really professional, please come on my podcast. Uh, it was really <laughs> well written, yeah. and you gave examples. You ran it, it through Grammarly. Yeah. yeah, and I'm just like, <laughs> and I laughed. I was like, but I kind of have to do that yeah. with a lot of people. Like, I don't know that you're just like, let's get fucked up and talk. Yeah, of <laughs> course. Know? Yeah. Like, uh, there are people that I have to send a, I mean, it's it's a it's a really funny work aspect where I have to, I can't send a super long message, but I can't send a short one. I have to be like, this is my name. Here's some examples of people I think you may know that have been on to make you feel comfortable. Yeah. 
Here's my links. You can check everything out. But I have to. But I also can't be like, my name's Joe. Get this podcast. Check me out. Yeah. I also can't send a over the last couple of years. No one's fucking reading that. I remember being so nervous uh, when I called Mike Farrell up asking if I could do a set on <laughs> at Brothers Lounge. I, Mike Polk gave me his number, and I would always see the Brothers Lounge comedy show uh, advertisement in Scene Magazine. You know, so I was like, man, that's a show that I want to get on. And I remember I called Mike Farrell, and he was drunk at a Pearl Jam concert, and he's screaming <laughs> at me, and. I remember, like, props were we, picking up the phone. Yeah, and we kind of like didn't decide on anything because it was such a like a disjointed conversation. But like, I hung up. I'm like, I don't know if I'm on the show. Like, <laughs> and then and then in my mind, I'm like, you. I'm like, well, when should I send a follow up? You know, like a follow. You know, it's like, but follow up is somebody that's worked in the corporate. world. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's and that's I have to do that too. Yeah, and I also have a cap because I'm like, I'm not gonna. I'm like, I've had. Three people in the last month respond to me immediately about being guests. Yeah. They're like, oh, that sounds awesome. When? And I send follow-up, follow-up, and I haven't heard back from them. And I'm like, you get two follow-ups, and I'm done. Yeah. And I usually end with, you ever have any time? Let me know. And that was it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, same thing. I was like, this is weird, because your message originally was like, that sounds like, oh, I'd love to do this. For sure. Why are you not responding? I know people are busy. I get it. But I'm also like, I'm also not going to badger you. And it's, I think too, like, I think that corporate life does rub off a little bit because people's relationship with email is like, some people are just on it a lot. Like, you know, if you've got a nine mm-hmm. to five job, you're on it, you reply, da, da, da. And then some people it's like, oh, I check that thing like once every seven to 10 days. Yeah, you know what I mean? So it's like, okay. Have it? Yeah. Yeah. It's why don't you just, why don't you just tell me to hit you up on MySpace? Yeah, you know, exactly. Like it's a, it, it, you're you're absolutely right about that, and I've had uh, I've had others where I've I, I mean, for the most part, I've been really lucky with everyone that's come on yeah. here. They've all been real cool and respectful. I've had others that are just fucking donkeys, man. Like I've had I had one that we talked for about two months, scheduled a date, um, agreed on a date, agreed on a time. Yeah, time came and went. She never showed up. She never responded. She never got. She never said, "I'm sorry." I never heard from her again. Yeah, I messaged her. I'm like, "Hey, we're supposed to meet." Yeah, where are you? And yeah. never heard from her again. I had others that responded to that message, like, "Oh shit, sorry, man, uh, I got hung up. I'll come later." I'm like, "Nope." What do you mean you'll come later? Yeah, we were gonna meet at three. You don't show up at six. I yeah, got shit to do. Yeah, of course. I don't have shit to do, by the way. <laughs> but it's more of a principle. Yeah, thing. no, I totally get I'm it. Like, I don't want you thinking I'm just sitting around here waiting for you to show up. Yeah, and I'm like, fuck you. And I'm, I'm, I don't know about you, but my wife tells me I'm a very impatient person. So like, when that stuff isn't like, <laughs> when those like deadlines aren't hit, like, and I, I remember, I, I remember telling my buddy about this. Uh, because when I was putting together shows at coffee shops and bars and stuff, he's like, well, how's it all going? I go, I go, it's kind of tough, man. I go, these comedians, like, they don't hit their deadlines. And he looked at me. He's like, well, why do you think they became comedians? Because they, they don't want to deal with deadlines. And I was like, deadlines. damn, you're right. <laughs> yeah. That's why they say I'll do seven to ten minutes because they can't even commit to a time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mine was, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not impatient, but I don't tolerate things like that. Yeah. Like, that's a... I'm like, I don't, if your answer is you can't, even if an hour before you're like, something came up, I can't make it. That's fine. Yeah. I don't care. And sometimes shit when, like that happens, it's fine. Well, it's like, you know, when you're in your 30s and 40s and you try to get together with your buddies, like sometimes there's going to be 
a little bit of a ping pong where it's like, hey, can't make it tonight. Let's reschedule. And the person's like, oh, I can't make it. You know, so sometimes it takes two or three tries yeah. to actually make it happen. But to go, oh, yeah. But to go like uh, radio silence, that can be a little frustrating. I had, and the the two best examples, and I the one I use a lot in terms of comics is Raj. Yeah, uh, Raj Suresh is he's one of the funniest people I've ever met. He's been on the, the podcast like three times. He's an awesome guy. He just released a special, so everyone please check it out. But um, when I did that roast battle, Raj uh, messaged me about three no shit about three weeks before he goes. Look, man, I'm really, really, really sorry. I got this very lucrative offer, and it's out of state. I want to take it, but I did commit to you. I'm like, dude, take the fuck go. Yeah. Go. Yeah. We'll do something else later. Yeah. And we did. We ended up doing something else later. But I'm like, take it. I, Jesus Christ. I would never, ever, ever try to take you away from something. Of like course. This is your yeah. livelihood. Of course. Go. I was going to give you 60 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go. Yeah. Um. Same show. Someone just emailed the night before, like, I ain't going to make it. Yeah. I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> but with Raj, I didn't, if Raj had told me that the day before, I'd be like, go. Yeah. Just go. It's just, it's the way that you approach it. Oh, of course. But this this other guy, also a comic, which is like, yes, hey guys, I'm not going to make it. Make it. <laughs> I, th- I found out later the night that the, the, the day of the show, he's like, he wasn't doing anything. He yeah. He was just out drinking. Yeah, of course. <laughs> like, of course. You fucker. <laughs> But yeah, I'm like that. That's it, it, but that's a that's a corporate side that I'm like I completely understand. Things come up. Yeah. And Rush gave me three weeks notice, and he still said I'll still do your show. Yeah. I'm like, Get the fuck out of here and go take that lucrative show. That's great. And, and it's funny like that. I mean, that'll happen as you're putting together any type of you know show. And it's funny. I've had a couple comics where it's it's been actually really good. Like they will. You know, they'll cancel, but then they'll be like, hey, I can get you a fill-in. Like, I can get someone totally fine. who's just as funny or funnier than me. And I was like, all right, if you're going to do a little bit of that legwork, I appreciate it, you know. Completely, completely understand. So when um, I when we talk about all these shows, we talk about all these comics, I, you know, I know you've done a lot of shows over the course of whether the, the, the seven-year span when you're quote-unquote a comic or the 10-year span when you were starting and yeah of course so is it was there ever a show where you're like like i'm guessing like in cleveland it was probably like the pickwick something like that yeah you're like holy shit i am now doing this at kind of like the big because i i would assume cleveland's pick a pickwick has to be the big cleveland show yeah that was kind of you know the brass ring for me was yeah was getting on that stage of hilarities and i would do a bunch of um kind of like the open mics in the martini room. So they would do this thing where they would have like eight to 10 open micers uh, on the small stage on Friday night at 11 p.m. And I like that room a lot. That room, it's great. It's so cool. And I joke around the book because like, I don't know how I stayed up that late back then because I can't stay up late. Maybe I was just younger and more caffeinated. You were younger. Yeah, 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 I was definitely younger. I can't now (laughs) at all. Jesus. But like they would do that. And so I would do those shows. um, But it was really... um, Jason Lawhead, um, who was a comedian in town, he's mm-hmm. since moved to LA, but he was kind of my my in. I would always visit the Hilarities website to see who was coming and if I if there was a way I could you know kind of like get a spot in there. And I saw he was going to be coming the night before Thanksgiving, and I'm like, oh man, like that's that's prime time because everyone's out drinking. It's literally prime time. It's literally the best it's night. So weird. One of the best the nights biggest, of the year. It's the biggest night And I remember I, I called him. I said, listen, man, I go, I just saw on the website, you're going to be uh, headlining. I go, is there any way I can host for you? He goes, I can't make any guarantees. He's like, but I'll vouch for you. He goes, I know you can do this, you know? And it was funny because 
it was going to be Jason's first night headlining at Hilarities. He had featured, he had hosted. So it was kind of like he would headline, I would host. So it was a first for both of us. Um, and he's the one who kind of got me in the door. And that night, man, just everything worked. You know, like it was me, Mike Farrell featured, and Jason Law had headlined. And each of us just had an awesome set. The crowd was popping. And that night I was like, man. And I still look one of the top three or four nights of my life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, a, a again. That, that's I may when someone is actually lining up to see the thing that you do that yeah. you love to do. Yeah, and they enjoy themselves and things go well. Yeah, that of course sticks out to you. Yeah, in that you know you get like a um, an attentive crowd, you get a wave of laughter, and it's like whoa, like you're you're kind of you're kind of riding that wave a it's little a bit. It's a weird feeling. Yeah, I, I yeah I, I can't explain that. To, it's the my wife psyched me out of the first of the show I did in March. Okay. Because she's like, we're at Jukebox. There's like 70-ish people. I don't know. And um, she's like, what are you going to say? I'm like, I don't know. It's a podcast. I'm just going to do what I normally do. Yeah. Like, I know who I'm talking to. We're going to joke around. She goes, well, yeah, but you're going to go up there first. Mm-hmm. I mean, what are you going to say? And I'm like, fuck. Yeah, right? I never <laughs> I thought about that. about that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I walk up there, Brian Sternick and, and Squire both opened and, uh, uh, Brian brought me up and I don't know what I said, but people laughed and I was like, I'm fine. I just need to get that one out yeah, of the way. Of course. And the same thing at the Southern tier one. I don't remember what I said. Yeah. Actually at all. In fact, you reminded me of one when you, when Oh, I you loved it. Me. Yeah. We were, you were talking about the, uh, WGA writer strike, you know? <laughs> I don't yeah. Care. And you're like, I don't care. I'll watch suits again. You know? And, it, and I, the reason why I, I told you about that was. I love watching shows again. Like I've watched, oh, I do too. I've watched Dexter three times. I've watched Entourage three times. I've watched Californication twice. Like it's just it's comforting. Yeah. Like and I, I'm just like yeah, I'll, I'll watch stuff again. When there, yeah, that is true. I just I don't. And, and Noah actually, when Noah came on, I haven't released Noah's second episode yet, but it's coming. I think next week or the week after. And uh, we were talking about the writer track, and he was walking me through all of it. I'm like, that makes complete sense. Yeah. I still don't care. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it, and the reason that I don't care is because the thing I see about it are, you know, I see Kevin Bacon and John Hamm, and I'm like, you're not the right spokesperson. No. You're just not. Yeah. Because you're out here saying, like, we are not getting our rights. I'm like, fuck off. Yeah. Now, then I saw, and I think I might have sent it to you, but I saw this thing online where it was something, and it was funny because it was about suits. Yeah. And it said- Oh, yeah. Keep something going. like the uh-huh. the- Suits has been streamed for like six billion minutes, and the entire cast has been paid three thousand dollars for it. I'm like, yeah, that's what you need to put out there because that's fucked up. Yeah, because that is something that people obviously like and love and keep going back to, and people should be getting paid. Because I mean, look, I love Suits. Name four people on that show. Yeah, I can't. Gabriel Mock. That, yeah. That's the only person I know. I don't know anyone else. Well, I've been... And Megan Markle, but for different reasons. Yeah. Well, it was funny because I've been paying attention, you know, this past week when all the Jimmy Fallon stuff came out. Yeah. You know, about, you know, kind of the toxic atmosphere. Turns out he sucks too. Yeah. And it's <laughs> it sucks. Like, you know, what are you going to do? But I remember about six or seven years ago, like my dream job was to write for late night TV. I wanted to be a monologue joke writer. So I learned from some people that did it, some guys that wrote for... Arsenio and Letterman, like I, like I literally like got tutored in how to like write the structure of it. I sent some packets in, didn't get any responses or anything like that. And that for me, that was like the dream gig. But now that I look back on it, and it's like those jobs 
are so high stress. And those writers for those late night shows, they usually have a shelf life to maybe three years. And either they get burnt out about it or either they get burnt out on it or they just get tired of the, and then they hire someone younger or cheaper. Yeah. They have a very, I mean, that's a rotating door. Yeah. I mean, I, I uh, bring back up Anthony Jeselnik was a writer on, writer on Fallon for maybe 18 months. Yeah. And I remember him. He's like, it's not fun. Yeah. He's like, they didn't take any of my stuff because, you know, Obviously, most things that Anthony Jeselnik says yeah. is not going to equate yeah. to a, a wide late night audience that maybe needs a little bit more Jay Leno-ish vibe of to course. it. Of um, course. But a lot of them are like like on the SNL side. Like you, I mean, you hear horror stories that there's like, man, that's the fucking worst and best job simultaneously yeah. because the pressure of putting legitimately putting a eight to ten skit live show every single week. You know, for half of the year is a fucking nightmare. Well, and I think, I don't know if it was, uh, you know, David Spade said it maybe on his podcast, um, but he was saying like, SNL is like the most stressful job you have because you're always auditioning to get your Your stuff out there. Your sketch picked. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like you're like every week trying to come up with stuff. So like you get something on the show. It was funny. I read, um, did you ever uh, read The Late Shift about Leno versus Letterman? Uh, a- a- HBO did a movie. On yeah, I it. saw the movie. Yeah, so I saw the movie. I didn't read the book, but he, the and se- just FYI, anytime you ask me that question, if there's a movie with the book, I saw the movie. Okay, good to know. Good <laughs> they to just know. Haven't made a movie out of yours yet. Yeah, good to know. Future <laughs> reference. And the author who did the Late Shift um, did another book called The War for Late Night about Conan getting the Tonight Show. Yeah, and that whole mess, you know, that happened. And he made such a, uh, the author made such a good point where he was like, people that watch The Tonight Show, like, aren't like super hardcore comedy fans. No, like, no. they are middle class boomers living in a suburb who watch the 11 to 11.30 news and then maybe watch the monologue for a couple jokes. Maybe if there's a guest they like, maybe they'll stay up, but they watch it very casually. So when Conan got that job, Conan was almost like too too smart for the audience, you know, cause like when, yeah. Co- when Conan was on at 1230, you had, you know, if they made it and masturbating bear and all those skits that he did. And then a lot of that, he couldn't carry over to that new time slot because it, it was work. more of a yeah. general audience. And then when Jimmy Fallon came along, everyone like Jimmy Fallon is kind of like, you know, the aw shucks kind of like boy next door. And that's, that's kind of why it worked. I, I agree that late night comedy for late night comedy shows versus comedy is very, very different. Yeah. It, it's not, and I, I can't say it's not funny. I don't think it's funny, but I can't say it's not funny because tens of millions of people watch it every single night. Yeah. Uh, or, well, maybe not as much anymore, but they used to. When you think about going like to the Johnny Carson days. Yeah. I mean, Johnny Carson was getting 40 million views a night. Yeah. I mean, that's bonkers. Yeah. That's when there were 200 million people in the country. Yeah. A quarter of the country was tuning into that dude. When I remember, like, growing up, like, I remember when Leno extended his monologue. Yes. Because he knew, like, it's almost like Leno knew he wasn't fun- funnier than David Letterman, but he had more of the stand-up background. Yes. So I think Letterman would do, like, a six- to eight-minute monologue, and Leno's was about 15 to 20 minutes. And I remember I really enjoying some of Leno's jokes. Like, I'm like, man, like, this is really good. And then at some point... Leno just kind of turned into like a corny kind of caricature, I, and I don't, yeah. I, I don't know if I got older or he got older or just both. No, honestly, I've always viewed him that way. I've never really? found him funny. I don't think Jimmy Fallon's funny, and, and in a, 
again, not in a they're not funny. It's just not my not your thing. Yeah, I am more of a Segura, Hannibal Burris, Anthony Jeselnik. Like those guys, I think are fucking geniuses. Yeah. Um, but I mean, no, I don't. But yeah, it is. It's very much a almost like a family cookie cutter. Yeah. Here's something we can all laugh about, and then go out and you know grill some corn and shit. Well, it's like but you, I've never you picture like a like an old like. Um... 1950s, like the family around the radio, like the yeah, family like around Norm, watching yeah. the Tonight Show. You yeah, know? it's Norman Rockwell comedy. Yeah. It's not something that I I've ever found funny. I've never heard Jimmy Fallon or Jimmy. Actually, I thought Jimmy Kimmel was. He's gotten less funny with for over time. Yeah, yeah. But he's gotten more into the, you know, into what he does here, like in what he's doing now. Yeah. But Leno, no, I've never found funny. I've always thought Conan was funny. Yeah, um, when but Conan he's was different. When know, Conan was at twelve thirty, and I mean that was just like like yeah. we were just talking about masturbating bear. If they made it in the year two thousand, like those skits where he would have the TVs drop down with the p- people's mouth, yeah, like in yeah. Clinton and 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 Bush and Dennis Miller <laughs> and Geraldo, like it stuff was just like oh my god, like this like this is well, hilarious. I loved. I don't know if you ever watched Dennis Miller live on HBO. Yeah, Dennis I, Miller is one of my top three favorite that comedians. That show was brilliant. Yeah. He, it was br- that. That's what I wanted talk show, talk comedy, late night to be. Yeah, was that. Yeah, it was funny, but like those, the, the, so many of those shows. I, obviously, I know what the formula is. I just can't believe people watch that shit at all. Yeah, I can't believe another one comes out and people watch. I'm like, it's the exact same thing. They're just putting someone else, yeah, as the host, and they bring out people to have. And it's funny how what many they think are impromptu conversations, which are very planned, and then a musical guest. I don't yeah. understand why that's appealing, but again, I can't say it's bad because people watch it. Yeah. I just, I just, I don't like it. Chevy Chase tried it, couldn't do it. You Fuck, know, was that terrible? You know, he couldn't do it. Uh, <laughs> Magic I mean, Johnson, remember Magic Johnson? The Magic Hour. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. shit's terrible. I know. Yeah. That's bad. The uh the Chevy Ch- I don't know. I again like Chevy Chase is a very funny comedic actor, but man, that shit was horrible. Yeah. I mean, it was just I'm like, I can't believe this is Chevy Chase. This is so unfunny. Yeah. Arsenio Hall is funny. Yeah. And he, I actually really like the way that he interviewed. I thought he was much better interviewer. Oh yeah. But his just didn't work. But again, it's 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 just, it's a formula. Like John Lara Cat, for some reason, had a show. Yes. It goes on. There's 15, 20, or 30 yeah. things I'm not even thinking of, but people say, well, it didn't work because of this. Like, no, it didn't work because we've already seen it. It's just a crapshoot. It works or it doesn't, yeah. but it's not because one was better and one was not. For some reason, people watch it. For some reason, other people didn't, but it's not different and it's not better. It's all the same. Some people just glob onto it. Well, it's funny. I mean, you look at like, you know, people who get on Saturday Night Live, like, there's, we were just talking about this earlier. There's so many funny comedians, bands. Like there's, you know, and it's, it's luck and timing. Like there's probably dozens of improv actors in LA and Chicago who are just as funny as anyone on, you know, one of those shows, but you know, it's, it's a timing and a luck thing. It's, well, I mean, think about some of the people that have left SNL. You're like, they were one of the funniest people ever. Yeah. I never heard from them again. Yeah. Sherry O'Terry was so funny on SNL. Oh, I love Sherry O'Terry. I I I th- as far as I know she died. <laughs> I don't think I've seen her in any. Just like how you since. thought Bob Barker died at the Southern Tier Show. I actually thought he was already dead. I did, yeah. <laughs> so I was already already over it. Yeah, so I'd already I'd already processed the death. Yeah, but I don't think I I don't I can't think of anything I've ever seen her in since. Well, yeah, and it was funny because so I, I I dedicate a couple chapters in the book to it, but I did some shows with Chris Kattan yep. at at Hilarities and. I don't think now. I understand why Hilarious brought him in because he's a name. He's you a know, name. he's a former SNL alum. 
you put butts in the seats, totally get it. But Hilarities, I don't think, did their homework to see if this guy actually knew how to do stand-up. You know? And when he got up there, he didn't know how to do stand-up. And he, you know, unfortunately, he got booed off the stage. And it just goes to show you, like we were talking about with the Chevy Chase show, you know, just because you do one good in one platform doesn't mean it's going to translate to another. That was, uh, if you remember that Michael Richards thing from years ago. Of course. I, most people do. Yeah. So I mean, Michael Richards played Kramer on Seinfeld, if anyone doesn't know. He, you know, I think he had the same problem that a lot of people on Seinfeld had was we just couldn't believe him as anything else. So yeah. movies didn't work. Shows didn't work because he was just Kramer because he was so good at that. So we started doing comedy. He's not a comic. No. And it was very clear. Yeah. And I think he just had a breakdown on stage when he realized, fuck, can't do this either. Yeah. And it, it just fell apart. But there's a ton. I, I saw, God, I saw Pauly Shore do comedy. I I saw him at Pickwick and Frolic. Okay. And it was, let me rephrase. It wasn't funny. It was funny that I went. <laughs> okay. You know, we were like, I, we got the tickets for like 10 bucks. Yeah. Like, yeah, that was going to be funny. We'll whatever. go see the weasel. It yeah. was not funny at no. all. And he constantly, I was, I felt like I was in the nineties again. Yeah. He was just like, Oh, I'm the weed. I'm like, Oh my God. I'm still doing that shit. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. It wasn't funny. You know? And, and, and again, I didn't find it funny. Yeah. But you know, it was just so weird. I'm like, God, this just didn't translate for me. Yeah. But I mean, he's a name and the place was full. Yeah. Of course. The place was full. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, People were just like shifting in their seats. People are like leaving. People are like, I'm just going to get another drink. And people yeah. go into the bar. They, it, it, after like 10 minutes, the novelty wore off and it wasn't funny. So it's funny because the next book that I'm doing is actually on pro wrestling. And there's a lot of similarities between pro wrestling and comedy. So at a lot of these indie pro wrestling shows, they will have like a bigger name come in to either sure. wrestle or sign autographs or do both. So it's like, come see Greg the Hammer Valentine, you know, or come see the Honky Tonk Man. And then they try to get people in the door, and then those people in the door can see all the local talent. And then hopefully those people come back when that local talent wrestles in like a month or so, you know? Yeah. But it's that same concept of like, let's get a name to get people in the door, and let's hope like what we surround that name with gets them to like what we're doing. So you're a pro wrestling fan? Yeah, I did... Uh, so I did actually uh, pro wrestling training for 90 days. Oh, really? Yeah, but I got a bad concussion, so I stopped. Yeah, it's not good for you. No, no. And I mean, <laughs> look at my size. Like, I don't know what I was thinking. Um, but I actually did it. Um, there used to be a promotion in town called Firestorm Pro Wrestling, and they used to do their shows and their training at the Fantasy Theater uh, on Detroit right over here. Um, so I had a very short stint in it, but... The next book is going to be a biography on Firestorm Pro Wrestling. Okay. And it's funny because, the, like I said, the parallels, my stand-up career, air quotations, was roughly 2010 through 2014. Firestorm had about a four-year span. Their first show was in 2007. Their last show was in 2011. Um, so that's kind of the next project you know, on the books. But yeah. I do see similarities between kind of both both avenues. Okay. Yeah. There's a market for that. People fucking love that shit. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, it's, I'm it's fun, too, because I'm like reintroducing myself to that world. So I'm reaching out to these old wrestlers and these guys who are like that I did these these this pro wrestling training with. Like a lot of them are my age. They're 40. They have a couple kids. They've got the mortgage and, you know, all that stuff. Wow. So it's kind of funny to go back in time and kind of hear their stories. Yeah, I don't pay attention to wrestling. I met Dolph Ziggler at a bar a little while ago, and uh, but I didn't know who he was. Yeah. 
Um, and uh, but he, he's a Saint Ed's guy. Oh, okay. I think I'm, I knew. That. I'm pretty sure he's a Saint Ed's guy. Okay. And I I know a lot of Saint Ed's wrestlers because I went to John Carroll for college, and we were all just sitting there, and he was he was a very nice guy. Yeah. Incredibly nice guy. Um, and uh, we talked for a little while. It was really nice. We all just kind of went our own ways, and they just kept talking about like, can't believe he's here. I'm like, why? What? I don't. What am I missing? Yeah. Right. I'm like, well, he's he's in with the WWE. I'm like, really? Because he's not a huge guy. Yeah. Um, but he's super athletic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, was, I, I was like, oh, no, that, that's how little, and he's a very well-known wrestler. Of course. That's how little I know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I can see the similarities though, for sure. But, um, I did want to ask about when did you, I know it wasn't necessarily your niece, Maddie, that told that convinced you to stop doing comedy. Oh no, I hear When that. were you finally just like, all right, you, cause I know a couple guys who I think are very, very funny. Yeah. Uh, Cody Cooper, Josh Lawhorn. Cody both. Cooper, yeah. Cody Cooper's very, he was on the first and second show I did. Okay. Man, um, that's a name I haven't heard in a while. Super funny. Yeah. Guy. And, uh, but I think they were always like, I just yeah. I can't anymore. It's just, I'm getting too old. I'm getting Did you ever uh, come in, do you ever run across Josh Morrow? I know the name. Okay. But no, yeah. No. But, you know, eventually they're all just like, time to move on. Yeah, of course. Um, but other people are just like, I'm never going to move no. on. No. So obviously you're a time to move on guy. Yeah. So what was it? Yeah, I think it was um, some of the last couple bar shows. You know, they just started to grind on me a little bit. And I think I was too ignorant to realize that not every bar show was going to be a home run. Like, sometimes these bar shows, they c- it can be lightning in a bottle. Like, the crowd pops. Every comedian has a good set. So in my mind, I'm like, oh, we can recreate this. Like, the next bar show is going to be just as good or better. So we did a show at this place called Parma Brewing Company. We did it on, like, a Tuesday or Wednesday night. It was me, Jason Lawhead, I think Brian Kenny, a couple other guys. And it was just <laughs> it, was, great. it was just one of the most magical nights ever. You know what I mean? Every comedian did well. I think I did 25 or 27 minutes, which was on the long end for me. You know, but it, it all worked. And, like, the crowd was right up. 20, 20 that's a long fucking time. It was, time, yeah. Man. And like I said, that was on the long end for me. And it just it just worked, you know, for this night. So, like, the bar owner came up to us afterwards. He's like, oh, my God, that was awesome. We're like, yeah, it was great. So he got us a Saturday night and, like, the holidays. And we invited all our friends. We had really good buzz for the show. Polk was on it. Jim Twos was on it. And since it was a bar show, uh, the Big Ten Championship game was on, Ohio State versus Michigan State. They wanted to turn off the TVs. Dude. So it's like, all right, there's there's barrier number one. Barrier number two, the bar didn't have, like, they never checked the microphone. So, like, we're screaming our sets into, like, a loud bar. Uh, And it just, it cascaded where it's like, I just don't know if I have the patience to put up with this bullshit anymore. And I think at the end, I started looking at it as, like, a chore. Like, I had to go out and do it. You know what I I mean? And I was just like, and it wasn't like I was lazy. I'm just like, what do I want to do with my time? Is this it? And at the time, I was transitioning into copywriting. So it was like I still wanted to be creative, but I just wanted to do it more in a structured type of way. You know what I mean? I don't think that that means laziness. I, I think everyone kind of has a breaking point with something if it's not paying off. Yeah. You know, and not paying off, and I don't mean in, a, in, a, in multiple ways. It's funny you say it was turning into a chore. I, I know a, a podcast in Cleveland, and they reached out to me, and were like, I don't know, man, it's just – this is just it's it's kind of it's just turning into a grind I'm like stop stop doing it yeah you're paying your bills stop doing it yeah like you're not none of us like i make money doing this but i'm not paying my bills of course when someone's like hey how are things going i'm like podcast is great i'm like i have a job yeah 
You know, of course, th- th- that's what I lead with. If yeah. They ask about the podcast. I tell them, but it's not what's paying my bills. It's I do it because I can make some extra money, and I do. It's fun. I get to meet a lot of really, really cool people. Of course. But if it's turning into a fucking chore, stop doing it, man. Yeah. Because then you're not getting paid for it and you don't like it. Why the fuck are you yeah. doing it? You and know? I, and I tried. Like, I tried to get back into it. Yeah. I, re- I really did. And I, I did some hosting at Hilarities, and I just did not have the same zing or the pop and the yeah. jokes. And my wife could tell. She's like, ah. she's like, it's just, it's just not working. Yeah. Yeah. And not in a bad. It's like... If I mean, how can anyone enjoy your set if you're not enjoying your set? Yeah, of course. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it just like if we were sitting here and I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't know. You wrote a book. I, I, I mean, you're gonna be like, why am I? Here? Why am I here? You don't even want to be here. Yeah. Like it just it, it it translates. Yeah. And so I, I I do get that. Um, and for the same like if this turned into where no one wanted to come on and. I was only getting fucking schlubs who I just didn't even really like or yeah. want to talk. I'd be like, why am I doing this? This is so stupid. Yeah, <laughs> of course. And stop doing it because yeah. there's just no other, there's no reason to. Um, and I do get that. It's just, it's such a grind, stuff like that. Like comedy's a grind. Yeah. And That's, I think, I think I just, I don't know. I think the late nights started to kind of, yeah, just, they kind of wore me down a little bit. Um, and like I said, I kind of like, I just took stand up in the same passion and, drive that I had for stand-up, I just applied it to copywriting. So I just like I use that same mentality of like networking, like, all right, like I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. Like I'm gonna figure this next thing out. And that it was just like one, two or the other. And then like with the book writing thing, like I'm like, all right, like I've been writing for a while. I've never written a book before, but I think I can kind of figure this out. Like I know like I'm not gonna rely on it to like keep a roof over my head, but I think I can figure out this next creative You're a creative endeavor. type though. You you yeah. need a Nobody wants to do, and I think it's bad when people do it, wants to do a, you know, nine to five, eat dinner, go to sleep, nine to five, eat dinner, go to sleep, nine to five, eat dinner, go to sleep. Maybe Saturday I'll go to a special dinner, Monday, nine to five. No one wants that. (laughs) No. Um, And I think if you're doing that, it it, it can mentally kind of drain on you. So, yeah, you just, you took what you were doing and you redirected it somewhere else. I think it's a very good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny, like a lot of a lot of copywriters kind of fall into copywriting. You know, some of them are like sports journalists. Um, I mean, some of them have like a creative writing degree, whatever, but a lot of them are like musicians, comics, like they kind of like can navigate their way around words a little bit. And then they're like, all right, maybe if I can just navigate it for advertising, maybe I can kind of like put all this together. Yeah. Well, the book is good. And I I like what you've done with it because it's kind of, it's interesting to read, especially for local people. Yeah. Yeah. So it's called You're Not That Funny. Yep. Um, And the, the, I've already kind of mentioned a couple of times, but you, there was one paragraph that was so riddled with things I was familiar with. It was like, I wake up in the morning listening to Q104. Oh, my God. And, you know, living across the street from Corky's. I'm like, my God, that's the most like, Cleveland sentence I've ever read in my life. And it's just, you remember, you remember these little snapshots of your life in the book I talk about. I remember Miley Cyrus, Pardon the USA, Nelly's Just a Dream. Like, I remember the songs. And that in paragraph. The songs in rotation. You know, I remember, like, I'd have a Red Bull and a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. That was my breakfast. And then, yeah, Corky's, like, you could, you could, I live so close, you could make out the songs that that people were singing. So, yeah, very, very Cleveland centric. Yeah, it was great. I think, I think things like that. And then you talk about the Willoughby Brewing. I really love the brothers section because you talked about the shows. And I was like, fuck, I I wish I'd seen that. It was great. I missed that. It was a great, it was, Um, it was a little like, um, I was talking, another, there's a comedian named Kevin Whalen and he's an Ohio guy. And, um, he read the book and he goes, I love how it captures just, 
that scene at the time. And that's what it was. It was just a little scene at the time. Yeah. <laughs> there's a uh, there's a, a hip-hop group that I had on here named Free Black. And they're from Akron. And okay. it's so funny. The first song I ever listened to was a song called Surrender. It's one of my favorite songs the last five years. It's my favorite song of theirs. But they just reference these Akron things in the lyrics. I'm like, fuck, I love that. Yeah. It, that's why it stuck to me. Yeah, and That's of why course. I think this can and, and, and will stick to people in the city because it's, it's just, you know... You just driving around, you're like, ah, oh, fuck. Like, again, when I talk about the Q104, the Corky's thing, the Brothers thing, the Willoughby thing. Yeah. Thinking about all those things, I'm like, God, those are all things that I'm familiar with and have well, been to. So it's, and it's, it, it's, it has a very, it's like nostalgic, even though I wasn't there. Yeah. Oh, okay. I like that. Yeah. yeah. It was funny. Um, a buddy of mine said it's kind of like a casual memoir. Yeah. And that's kind of, I mean, all the chapters are, you know, pretty short. And it's funny because, I mean, two out of the three places aren't around anymore. Like, Bogies mm. isn't around. Willie Brewing's not around. Brothers will do like very one-off shows. Like Mike Farrell tried to get it going about a year ago. It didn't really take they off. They changed a little bit since COVID. I think they're yeah. still trying to find their footing. Yeah. Um, but I still love it. I do like it there. Oh, it's a great venue. It's such a great place to just even just hang out, you know. Um, but yeah, they're still just kind of figuring it out. And they were closed for so long. Yeah. That I forgot about them. Yeah. Even though they're literally a mile away from where uh, we're sitting. Of course. But I still forgot about them. Yep. Um, and it's funny when I was writing this book, now I really want other comedians to write more books for my own selfish reasons. Like Ramon could write a great book about Redstone, uh, yeah. Redstone. Yeah. yeah. Which is now all saints, you know, public house. Um, you know, I know they made a documentary about, um, Bella Dubby way back. It's called make fun. Um, but like, um, Oh, uh, the Robin hood, which was, uh, a bar down in Kent. Kent? Yeah. Yes, I used to play shows there yeah. Music, yeah yeah so that's where polk zumach dalton steve Byrne, all those guys got started there and i've i it was funny i was like man someone should like write a book about that because i i'd read it in a heartbeat yeah no i do i think the uh especially in a city like cleveland people do it is it's almost like having a memory inserted into your brain that you weren't there but because you're familiar with it yeah you can relate to it yeah it's a very weird thing but when i was re- i was like because i just i knew those places yeah and when you're talking about like oh yeah you're like over in the corner at Willoughby. I'm like, oh my God, I remember. I know what he's talking about at Willoughby Brewing. Yeah. Even though I never saw a show. Well, and even before, like, um, even before Mike Farrell did the shows at Brothers Lounge, uh, Farrell and Jason Lawhead ran a room called Bossa Vida, which was on West 117th, which is now like a, I think like a taco place or something. But Bossa Vida, like, has its own aura and its own energy and its own stories. And it was funny, I got together with Farrell for this book. And when I was kind of picking his brain about Brothers Lounge, he's like, dude, he's like, I think I remember more about Bossa Vida than I do Brothers Lounge. I was like, why don't you write a book about it? He's like, oh, that's not me. I was yeah. like, oh, come on, man. Would you ever want to do stand-up again? I don't see it. I, I really don't. Um, unless there was just a real like inkling to yeah. to think that I had something to say or, you know, something to offer. I just I just don't I don't see it. Yeah. Well, it's it's I mean it's it's and I think for a way, writing the book was a nice way to kind of tie a bow around yeah. that experience in my no, life. No, no, I get it, man. I do. And like that, that's a, again, it's a, I mean, just kind of like your reaction there. It wasn't even a, it was kind of a quick, no, I don't think so. Yeah. And not because you didn't like it, but because you're like, I just think that that's done. Yeah. It's that I'm just done with that part. It's like when you ask like a, uh, like an old band to get back together. They're like, I, I just don't see it happening. Like, you yeah, know? <laughs> I don't know. I've already done it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a, 
but I, I get it. And also, you've done things. I, I'm legitimately right now working with some, not working with somebody. I don't want to put it this way, but my friend has been dying to do stand up. Yeah, like, I want to do stand up. It's on my bucket list. I'm like, okay, how about this? You know, I know some people. I know some open mics. I can tell you kind of where to go. Yeah, I'm like, I'll even, I'll if you want, we'll sit down. We'll kind of write like a little five minute set together. If you totally. Want. Um, she came to the show. She's like, yes, yeah, you need to help me. I'm like, keep in mind, I didn't write any of that. I was just joking around. It just worked. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's not, I can't, that, that's always why. Cause I, I hate when that, that happens. So some of the people are like, you should do stand up. Like, nope, shouldn't. No. You know why? I can't plan something funny. That's what comics do. Yeah. Brian, me and Brian talked about that all the time is that, uh, cause Brian, I'm like, you're funny, dude. I'm like, yeah, but I'm not. You funny. Yeah. It's different. Everyone can say something funny in a group setting sometimes. Sure. That's my funny. Yeah. My funny is not, I can plan something that's going to be funny in three weeks at a bar in Parma. That's yeah. not me. I'm not, and I can't do that. I'm very aware of that. And I don't want to even well, try Well, you know, you, you're probably in a nice spot though. Like, so it was funny. We talked about like when you do stand up, you get asked to do other things. You yeah. Host fundraisers. And I've officiated a bunch of weddings for Same. people I've went to high school with and things like that. Yeah. And every now and then, like, you know, they'll send me like, hey, this is my officiant script. Can you make it funny? You know? So I'll just, I'll try to pepper in just a joke or two. Yeah. And, that, and that's it. And that's, it's just something very general just to get a little ha ha, just to kind of take the edge off of kind of like the public speaking stress. Um, but I enjoy that stuff. I enjoy just kind of like, Punching something up, sending it along, and now it's now it's your thing. Same, I, I like that. In fact, most of the stuff I did, like at Southern Tier, the reason I was asking the audience questions is because I needed material. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, know? it's because I didn't go up there with yeah. anything. Yeah. Um, the only thing that was kind of on my mind was the LinkedIn thing, but that was true. I did do yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like I put it on LinkedIn, and after and I then, put it on but LinkedIn, that was I'm like, so God, that's dumb. And then <laughs> that was that worked out so well because. For those that were at the show, it transitioned into the whole thing. I think about Ken's dad or something. Oh yeah, you know, like his whole in fortune. But I didn't know that yeah. about Ken's dad. Yeah, but Ken and I have a very good rapport, and Ken and I are very similar because he even before the show, he's like, "What do you want to talk about?" I'm like, I, "We'll figure it out." Yeah, if we sat down and planned that it, it would suck, and he's like, "I agree," and he just yeah. left. <laughs> so that's what kind of works for us. I'm really glad that you. Um, the book really is good. I, I like. It. I appreciate it. Um, Thanks. I do like it. I I do at uh, that section where you ask everyone to give their their feedback on the locations. I thought it was really well done because it gives not just your opinion, but it gives everyone's opinion. And it's people that people know, people that people may not know, but yeah. it still gives people like kind of a different like. This was my take, but don't just take it from me. Here's ten other people that did the same thing. Yeah, and it was funny because when I was putting the book together, my editor didn't really understand why I was doing it she's like yeah. she's like okay she's like well people sit through like these thoughts of like these comedians and i was like well because she wanted me to like weave it into like paragraph form you know what i mean like because it's really i just took their quotes verbatim copy and paste yeah. them. that's all i did and i read a book um, by terry pluto called the browns blues yeah and what he did was he had these stopgap chapters where it was just emails from fans and the chapters were uh, former Browns jerseys, former Browns quarterbacks, and there was one more. And he just let these people riff. And it was funny, like, these people were like, oh, I have an old Braylon Edwards jersey that is in my garage in a box somewhere, and that's all. And it was just all these short stories. So or, originally, I wanted those three chapters to be, like, dispersed throughout the book, 
but then I just kind of save them all at the end. Yeah. Um, and I just, yeah, I get, I don't know about, I get tired of my own thoughts and my own voice. That's why I want to hear somebody different. Like I want to hear what Ryan Dalton, I want to hear what Mike Polk said about it, you know, because no, I that, love that's... to hear if they have a little different opinion than I do. No, 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 no. I think it's good. I think that, I think that that was a good way to do it. I like, and when I got to it, I was like, oh, Okay. I like this part. Yeah. Because I heard your version of it. Now I'm going to hear everyone else's. Some are very, a lot of them were similar and positive, but they also, they also added like a, a specificity. Fuck. You know the word I'm saying. Of course. Yes. <laughs> specificity. Forget it. <laughs> a specific part that they remembered. So similar experiences, but all had a, almost like a different little tidbit that they remembered that everyone else didn't. Yeah. And it all, it, it gave it more, authenticity because it's like yeah they all were on the same experience but everyone had a different positive experience yeah and at the same time the same one what, it was just very odd yeah what am good one of my favorite books is uh motley crew the dirt yeah did you ever read that no saw the show saw the yeah <laughs> saw yeah saw, saw the, the movie. movie yeah i kind of wish i'd read the book the book the movie is was fucking terrible yeah the, the the movie lacked a little bit but the book uh it was uh co-written by oh my god uh neil is it Neil Strauss? I can't remember. He he wrote for Rolling Stone. Bald, uh, I know you're bald guy. Yeah. He wrote Marilyn Manson's too. But it was funny in uh, the dirt. They do a similar thing where like it's each guy like telling their own account of the story, and it's like Mick Mars will tell it one way, but then Vince Neil's like, yeah, I kind of remember it was like that, but it was more like this for me. Yeah, you know, yeah. so you're hearing like you're almost hearing like the whole band give their take on it. So yes. like when I and it was funny because I interviewed. Um, not only comedians but fans who came to these shows a lot, Eric, like the regulars. Uh, Eric Kazan, yeah, yeah. Eric's great. Like I know, I, I, do, I actually I have met him. I've done a couple of shows where I met him after. This yeah, yeah, Eric's a great guy, yeah. and he was he was just like he's just so well entwined in that kind of stand up community. Yeah, he's a fan. He's a fan of shows in Cleveland. Stuff yeah, there. so it's like I would ask like what they liked about it, and it was funny for like a lot of people with the Willoughby Brewing shows, especially who lived on the East Side. They didn't really want to drive downtown to Hilarities to see a show. A lot of people don't. So once a month, they're like, oh, like, so these same guys are going to be at Hilarities, are going to be at Willoughby Brewing Company, and it's free. It makes complete and I can sense get a, to go to Willoughby And Brewing I can get a couple Company. beers. They're like, and it was funny because my friends started asking me, they're like, I'd be like, hey, I'm at Hilarious this weekend. They're like, yeah, but when are you going to be at Willoughby Brewing again? And I was like, all right, well, now I see kind of how this is yeah, going. Yeah, man, that, that's, that's a good option. Yeah. That is the one thing I think Cleveland is still lacking is, is additional hilarities options yeah uh it's unfortunate but they just are yeah um but uh you know a lot of places are popping up so hopefully it'll, of course it is fun. that's so funny you mentioned the dirt um i was excited to watch that movie because i thought it would be good who would have thought that having mgk as one of the leads was gonna suck yeah but uh i should have known that <laughs> i was just i was like why at the end of it i'm like what a pile of shit this was this could have been so much better yeah because it's, some of the stories i knew like the ozzy osbourne ant story i knew that story of course from ozzy osbourne but i'm like it's just so hard i mean there's so many and the book is like i said the book is so well done that they tried to cram all the stories like into this you know 90 you yeah. know minute movie and 25 just, years of decadence into a 90 minute movie yeah is not gonna work yeah um yeah the movie was terrible <laughs> but um i see i i do see Again, I see kind of what you mean by that. Like yeah. The 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 the, the, uh, the associations with both. Yeah. Um, that's exciting, man. I'm glad that you were able to do this. I'm glad you were able to, and now you're kind of already, 
you know, you kind of got that bug, so to speak. Where yeah. You're like, no, I want to move on to something else. Yeah. And I into think the pro wrestling thing. Yeah. And I think too, like for me, at least at this point in my life, you know, writing books is kind of nice because I like something that you can kind of chip away at, you know, and Stephen King writes, you know, 2000 words a day. So that's like elite level. That's like Tiger Woods mastery. So I try to aim for like five to 10% of that. I yeah. try to do like one to 200 words like every other day. And I just, if you do that though, like you can get to 15, 20,000 words, you know, it's just, I just, I like something that you can kind of attack for a while. And then I like a book because it's just so, it's so final. Like here it is. I'm going to put this out in the world. If you like it, cool. If you don't, that's okay. And then I can just move on to the next one. Yeah. I would love to be able to write a book. I can't, I, my ADD won't even allow me to. Um, I have a very, well, again, I grew up in the 80s and 90s. So ADD back then was like, get it together. Yeah. That was the ADD cure. Yeah. It's someone telling you to get your shit together. And it just, it's been undiagnosed and I just live with it now. Well, it's funny because I, I was t- saying like, if you're a, if you're ADD, but you still want to be a writer, you should be a copywriter. Cause, <laughs> cause copywriting is like very short headline driven social media. Yeah. It's word counts and stuff like that. And I think that's kind of how I go about writing my books too. Cause both of them are very short reads, you know, um, I never want to bore anyone. Like I almost want to bad. You, you know what your book, sorry to cut you off. No, you're good. Your, your book length is almost like you were conscious of it. Just like you're conscious of the length of a comedy show. Yeah. You're like if I go to 300, 400 pages, I'm going to lose people. Yeah. Yours is like 120. Yeah. This one was around um, there. 115, yeah, 120. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, probably just, maybe just over a hundred. You sent that to me and I was like, fuck, I can get through this. You know, yeah. I'm dumb. I know. It was funny. <laughs> I, t- I sent it to Squire, uh, He's like, oh my god! He's like, I can get through this in between. That's sets. how dumb people see books. So yeah. Like, oh, I can get through this. Yeah, this isn't yeah, even a real yeah. book. <laughs> That's how dumb people. We get excited about a short it's, book. It's like, like I can't wait to finish this book. <laughs> it's like it's like uh, Jim Gaffigan bit. He talks about. He goes, "What's the deal with greeting cards?" He's like, "You pick it up, you open it up, you go, yeah, that's some I would say, and then you leave." Because <laughs> I, I always wanted the chapters to feel like if you and I like just like. We just like ran into each other like on the street and it was like a quick conversation. I wanted all the chapters to be quick conversations. No, I, I it's this is also a dumb person version yeah. of a book. When I see the next chapter come so quickly, I'm like, I am fucking killing. I can do this, yeah. <laughs> I am doing so yeah. well. I'm already on chapter three. <laughs> and my 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 wife made fun of me because just the way like it's laid out, like the font's actually pretty big. It's like 16 or 8. I don't know yeah. what it is. But, you know, she's like, this is a good book for old people. It's but, also a smooth read, though. Yeah. It, it does. <laughs> it, it, it's a smooth read in terms of it just it from piece to piece to piece to piece, it goes well. Yeah. It doesn't get jumbled up where all of a sudden you're like, the fuck? Wait, where am I now? I know. Because uh, I've read books like that that have lost. I've been sending like shows where all of a sudden I'm like, wait. You can't do time hops in books because I can't see what the fuck everyone's yeah. wearing. Yeah, I just read, uh, <laughs> it was funny, like I just read this book called Nitro. It's all about the Monday Night Wars, WCW, mm. and uh, this uh, author wrote it, Guy Evans. And it's it's a massive book. It's about 560 pages. And the guy did over 120 interviews for the book and really did his research. But there's just so many names in it with so many different titles where, like, I hate, I hate to do it, but sometimes I skip a couple pages to... T- get to the next chapter just so I could start fresh. You know what I mean? Cause you do, you get, you get a little lost in the uh, minutia. Yeah. Oh yeah. You, you do for yeah. sure. For sure. 
Well, this, honestly, man, I, I'm the, I'm really glad we were able to kind of connect. Again, I'm sorry it took so long. No, this is great, man. Um, I want to say that this is the longest I've ever communicated. It's not. No, I don't know. <laughs> it's all good, man. I've talked to people like six months before yeah. it happened. I'm sorry, just the way it is sometimes. I should have. I what I should have done is just messaged you the day before and said, ah. Uh, not feeling it, and then kind of done a, a comedian. I should have done a comedian route on you, you know, been like, yeah, I'm not going to make it. I'd have read that, like, oh, yeah. once a comic, always a comic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's really good. Um, every, you can find uh, um, you can find his book on Amazon. It's uh, again, it's uh, uh, you're not that funny. Um, as I just for all my dummies out there that follow this, you can get through it. I did. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's a quick, quick read. And it, the way I wrote it was, I always want my books to be. To be like you were talking about, like you get books at the airport. I think yeah, you know. Time, yeah. So I always go into it with you should be able to finish this book on a short plane ride. So if you're going from Cleveland to New York and you've got about a 45, 50 minute flight, you should be able to knock this to knock this and book out. You, actually, you can. Yeah, yeah, I think you can. And also, but you also can because it, it the, the book flows. Yeah, it really, really does. No, I appreciate it. And uh, but yeah, especially for Cleveland people, man, pick this book up if you're a fan of comedy, if you're a fan of Cleveland, and you want to see some of these stories and some of these some of the things that happen behind the scenes, what some of that is like, definitely pick this up. This is a really good read. And I'm really, I'm glad that I got to read it and I'm glad I got to talk to you about it, man. This was really cool. This was great, man. I had a blast. Oh, good. I'm glad you, I'm, I'm glad you came, man. Um, that's it. Um, where can everybody find you? Yeah. Uh, just, uh, at Joshua Womack 82 on Twitter, same thing on Instagram. Um, I have a website, but it's not, it's not good. So let's just Skip the website. We'll skip the website. If you want to give me a shout out, if you want to, no, you know, I'm around. Awesome. Cool. Well, cool, man. Again, thank you so much for coming. Thank you. On a school night too. I know, man. This is older guys. So this is tough. Believe me. I'll be feeling it tomorrow. (laughs) It's like 6.56. (laughs) Well, thank you, buddy. Thanks, man. Appreciate it.